<laughs> Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce, how you doing? Hey, David, I'm doing all right today. How about yourself? Good. It's a beautiful day out there, give or take a million uh, mosquitoes oh. in my backyard. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> we haven't had a bad mosquito season in a long time, mm-hmm. and it hasn't been bad this year. Not um, really. It's been good, actually. The last few days, man. Oh. Yeah, they're out voracious. I was beginning to worry about the food chain there for a while, and then I realized, <laughs> yeah, we're, st- we're still in it. <laughs> we're st- yeah, as long as there's mosquitoes. We're part of it. <laughs> we are. We're doing our bit, pulling our weight. Yeah. It's the great circle of life, Bruce. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway. Akuna Matata, my friend. All right, Bruce. <laughs> we don't have a lot to talk, to talk about, is the truth. But we are going to talk about a few things, starting with some Oilers prospects. Bruce, why don't we kick it off? Um, I did a post recently. Let me just find that. Uh, on um, the NHL Network. And this kind of relates to a post that you also worked on about the the paucity, paucity, paucity of the Oilers system. And the Oilers, uh, the NHL Network, which I I think it was mainly Sam Cosentino who did the list, but EJ Heredic also worked on it. Um, they... They did the top 50 prospects, uh, NHL prospects, and they go by uh, a definition. They go by the sta- like the rule book definition. If you you know anyone who's played less than 25 NHL games, um, is a, and is under the age of like 25, um, is counted on their list. And they did not have. They had zero. They had not one Edmonton prospect. Out of the top 50, was it in the top 50? Not. Not, uh, not you'd expect one point five, them. right? What's that? You'd expect one point five. You'd rather have two, but you expect to have at least one out of fifty. Yeah, and all things being equal. And they didn't. They didn't also have. They didn't have. Um, what's his name? Um, Schaefer, the guy the Oilers traded away this um, past year in order to acquire Matthias Ekholm, which was interesting. I, I thought Reed Schaefer would have been on such a list in the top fifty prospects, because the Oilers got pretty good value. In terms of getting Matthias, three years, three and a half years of Matthias, three, you know, put it this way, four playoff seasons out of Matthias yes. um, in that trade. I mean, they gave up a, a low first round draft pick this year and Schaefer. And Schaefer had a pretty good year um, with Seattle, but he wasn't on the top 50 list either. What do you make of it, Bruce? Is it, is it a big deal? Should anyone be... Um, Attacking Tyler Wright, the head oiler scout, that he's not doing his job. What do you? What? What say you? I'm not sure how much of a chance he's got to do his job in the sense that uh, so many of the Oilers' picks get traded away every year. You know, they go into the draft with three or four picks, and typically they have one. They might usually they have one in the first round. This year they didn't have that. And then the second round pick is gone, the third round pick is gone, the fourth round pick is gone. But guess what? We got two picks in the sixth round, and uh, you know, and that. So they've really been picking a lot um, <clears throat> of, uh, I think, what was it? Fourteen of their last twenty-one picks were in the bottom seventy-five, as opposed to the top one hundred and fifty, or something like that. It was a clear majority in the bottom third of the draft. Uh, the picks that the Oilers do make. So. Uh, 
that said, I mean, he's he's had uh, he's not uh, Broberg. Uh, Came the year, the summer, the July he's after. Holloway and uh, Borgo, and I guess you can, you can say um, Schaefer's on him. Although you know, at this point, I really don't care if Schaefer's on the list or not because he's gone. Um, but none of them has exploded off the charts. But how many players do? You know, we're talking about number fourteen, number twenty-two, number thirty-two, and I mean Schaefer is still you know, uh, in junior hockey. Here's the quick list, Bruce, of the players that you've drafted that are have the highest kind of ce- ceiling right now that are still, there's positive buzz about. Yep. So he's had the four drafts. He he was not involved in the Philip Broberg draft. Right. That's on someone else, um, whether you like it or you hate it. But so his mm-hmm. his reputation, Tyler Wright's reputation, will draft. be will be based on Dylan Holloway, 14th overall, 2020. Carter Savoy, 100th that same year, 100th overall. Tyler Tulio, 126th. And Maxime Bereshkin, 138th that same year. Um, Xavier Borgo, 22nd, 2021. Luca Munzenberger, 90th in 2021. Matt V. Petrov, 180th in 2021. And Maximus Wanner, 100, or 212th in 21. Then there's the Schaefer pick, 32nd overall in 2022, Nikita Yasayev, 190th overall in 2022, and Bo Aiki, 56th overall in 2023. That's a lot of low picks um, oh, yeah. to be judging them on. And, but there's there's a lot of hope. There's there's a lot there's always a lot of hope with with drafted players. But with you know pair, players like um, Wanner, Petrov, um, Tulio. Bereshkin to some extent. There's a lot of, you know, Borgo is, he had an okay year, I think, in the AHL last year. And Holloway, if he, Holloway hadn't been injured, um, he might be a regular in the in the NHL right now. You know, he had the broken thumb, which required two surgeries. So um, it, this is the thing, it's, it's the hardest thing in the world is to rate these guys because it takes, you know, it's usually... <laughs> you know, two or three years after they've had five years at the helm that you can really mm-hmm. get a sense of what they did. So, you know, yeah. we can all recall Stu McGregor, the magnificent bastard, right? He was viewed mm-hmm. as this great finder of talent. And there was tons of hope around uh, some of the drafts that he had. I think the 2010 the 2010 draft, draft in particular. Yeah, Pidlick and Curtis Hamilton and, and, and Martin Ryan Arneson, Martindale. Ryan Martindale, Brandon yeah. Davidson. There was sure. a lot of guys that year, and uh, some of them could play, you know. It's just it's, like still playing. It's this weird thing where it's almost like the second you get a sense that the that the scout isn't doing well, you got to fire him because, and bring in somebody else. I mean, my take on it, and I've looked at this extensively, mm-hmm. is I think even the best, even the very, very best uh, scouts, like mm-hmm. the guy who was so great in Detroit and Barry Fraser and everything, <laughs> They've got a short shelf life. This is a really hard job. And I think people are good at it tops for about four or five years. Mm-hmm. And then you should be clearing house and bring in new scouts. Because it seems like a it seems like a job which is really suited to young, hungry, aggressive uh, scouts who really work their butts off and uh, looking to make a name for themselves. That's that's my particular take. So um, you know, move Tyler right into some other job in the organization. Like you shouldn't, I just think you should do that job for about four or five years and then move on anyway. 
because there's very few people who do it brilliantly um, for a decade or for 20 years. So, Yeah, maybe you could have a new, you know, you have these player development uh, positions. You could make a scout development position and, and kick your head scout up into that higher job. Yeah. You know, do, do if he doesn't deserve to get, you know, flat out let go. But, uh, I mean, Barry Fraser, I mean, he was at the helm for the Oilers for, I think, 21 years from 1979 through 2000. or I can't Pretty remember the 2000 draft. I think no, he left he, when Sather left. Yeah. Uh, it was, anyway, for, for the... Good, for the good of the Oilers, the best thing that could have happened was if Barry Fraser had been raptured in about 1986, you know, because he would have had this reputation then, deservedly, which he still has, of having the greatest run of coaching or dra- scouting and drafting in the history of the NHL draft, which he then spent the next 15 years largely sullying with a very mediocre to poor draft record from his villa in Mexico. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you said raptured, like yes. like taken up into heaven, not raptured, yeah. eaten no, by raptured. a giant lizard. No raptures. Okay, raptures. Right. No, it's never, similar, I guess. But uh, I've never taken heard from on high, taken from on high. Either way, I guess. But <laughs> I've never heard that word used in that way. Oh. I know what the the rapture. I've heard of the rapture, but uh, I've never heard of raptured. Anyway, yeah, he deserved to go to mm-hmm. hockey heaven. I mean, he he was he was a, a god. I mean, there's no one who's had a better draft record, I don't think, than Barry Fraser in those first years with the Oilers. It was just mm-hmm. unparalleled. And and Ken Hall and Ken Holland and the Detroit Red Wings faced the the same thing. They had a group of scouts in the '90s who were just unbelievably good, and then they kept those game same scouts through the 2000s, early yeah. 2000s for a decade. Mm-hmm. And they and they all they just kept drafting dud after dud after dud. Now they were in the same position. They were trading away a lot of draft picks. They were missing first round draft picks. Yep. But the players they did draft, I think the only one that worked out was Johan Franson. Like the rest of them were, they just lost it. And um, that's the story of Ken Holland's demise in Detroit was the fact he had fantastic scouts early on, and then he kept those same scouts forever, and they all lost it in terms of their ability to get out there on the road and identify talent. So we don't know where the orders mm-hmm. are right now in this cycle where Tyler Wright's going to be, and we're not going to know for a couple of years. Um, there's a chance, like if players like Petrov and Wanner, like you only need two or three of these guys to become good players for us to be saying in two or three years that Tyler Wright is did his job very well. Um, he identified some some good talent. Like let's There's say Holloway. Players there. I, I liked what I saw at the Dev Camp, and the guys that grabbed my eye were all triple digit draft picks. And the reason is this: that's all the Oilers have had. Literally, yeah. last four drafts, they've had five picks that were double digits, and all the rest were in the triples. You know, that's fourth round and beyond, where you're getting into pretty iffy territory every year. So it, it's it's a thing when you when you do it multiple years in a row, it becomes a deficit. I, I listed eleven players in that list that I read out to you about the Oilers draft picks. Let's say four of them become capable NHLers. I mean, if that happens, um, he will have done his job, especially considering where they drafted. I think you know uh, in the draft range they were at. If they can pull a player out of every draft who can help a become a let's say a core twelve player. Um, yeah. or, uh, in the NHL, I mean, that would be, then he'd be, then he would have done a superlative job. 
then he would have aced it. But, you know, so we we will see. It's it is a little early to tell we are. But we are going through these prospects now and um, we are uh, looking at them one by one. Bruce, you looked at um, the 15th player on our list, Jake mm. Chason, who was drafted. Um, mm. He was drafted in the fourth round. What what did you what was your takeaway from digging into his story and fourth round draft picks and how they usually do? Yeah, yeah. I I I wound up writing a little bit about Jake Chase on and more about sort of the the history of the players of his ilk and the kind of odds that they have to overcome in making it. And Jake Chase on it himself, um, you know, there's lots lots to like about him. I, I saw him at Dev Camp. He looked all right. I saw him. Unfortunately, I was at the the training camp scrimmage two years ago. His first camp that he left with a shoulder injury, and it basically cost him two thirds of his season. And this was after only playing 20 games the prior season because of COVID. They had that super short WHL season that didn't have any playoffs. I don't think. And then they. Uh, uh, so last year, the hope was he'd just get to play a full season, and he did. Uh, mind you, he played half of it on a really bad team in Brandon, and then the other half on a pretty good team in Saskatoon, and he scored at more or less the same rate that he's always scored, and that to me, that's a concern. You want to see a guy like that ramping it up. And last year, when you wrote the post on him, you were suggesting he might uh, be good for 80 or 90 points this year, and instead he played 70 games and he got 58 points. And you look at his game log and you see some real nice stretches. And then there are other stretches. There was one where he had one assist in eight games, you know, and another one, no points at all in five games. Now, if you're a semi-dominant 19-year-old in that league, you got to be producing better than that. And so that's a, that's a concern and that's something to watch as he turns pro. And there's still a question. Some people still say, uh, Jake Chase on, you know, he hold him back right, in junior for one more year. And uh, you can't slide his contract, but have him play as an overager. And uh, I just don't see it because for all that, two two of the seasons that he played were really short, 20 games. Uh, he was in that environment for four years, right? And then he gradually yeah. got to the point where he's the dominant uh, age of physical guys. You know, like 6'3", they're listening to 6'3 now in the orders, I noticed, 6'2 in other places. And... Uh, uh, Dev Camp said 6'3", and, and, you know, strapping young lad, right? And so now I think the step for him is to, to, to join the professional ranks after. He's where Curtis Hamilton was when he turned pro. You know, sending yeah. him back to junior made no sense because he already been there, done that. Give him a new thing. And even if the new challenge turns out to be ECHL in 23-24, if he's there and playing minutes against men, that's a step. It's you know he's not going to be in the NHL next year or the year after. By the end of his ELC, he's doing well if he had, you know, it's got a a, a call up and a look see for a while, uh, where he makes him have to make a decision when his contract gets to the fourth year. You know where Lavoie is now, Lavoie, where yeah yeah he's kind of forcing them because of where his you know and it'll take that long I would suspect for this player, but. I wouldn't be it's super shocked if he made it, but, you know, it's, the odds say there's only uh, a handful of percent of players picked from down that low in the triple-digit range of the draft, let's call it, because I, I looked at the fourth round and I looked at the fifth, sixth, and seventh combined, just who is the best player in the season that was picked in that spot. And 
it wasn't exactly list burgeoning with superstars. There were a lot of you know pretty good players there, and they're all players that you'd recognize when you see who they are today. Guys that took a few years to you know make their way up and make their presence felt, and they're still getting better. And that's that's the kind of guy that uh, makes it out of that lot. Is a guy that keeps improving into his late twenties, frankly. Well, Bruce, there there was there were two superstars on the list. You looked at the McDavid era of fourth round yes. draft picks. And there was, a, well, there's one superstar, Kirill Kaprizov. Mm -hmm. And then there's a really good player in Jesper Bratt of New mm -hmm. Jersey. So there's yes. two players that's just like, wow, did you ever, let's, nail let's, it. let's be honest, you got lucky. You nailed yeah. it, but you also got lucky. Yeah, 100%. Um, so, like the odd uh, one of those. Yeah. And then there's, a, then there's three or four other guys who are real good, solid, um, maybe even core 12 players. Like um, Ross Colton is a core 12 player. Well, they're I paying think. him like one now. <laughs> yeah, um, maybe Drake Batherson. Drake Batherson's probably been core 12. And so there's some good players. Mat mm -hmm. Matthias Michelli, we'll see how he continues to develop, if he continues to develop. And, you know, it's always a little, with players like that on a really bad team, you always mm -hmm. wonder if the, if he had a good season this year, but we'll see if he can continue. But there's, it seems like there's about two players a year um, from the McDavid era drafted in the fourth round who who have made it in the NHL so far that might go up a little bit mm -hmm. but it's not a lot of players and it's just it's just a reminder it, it, at some point like when you're a, a teenage hockey fan you're looking at it and you're looking at the draft and at some point you realize man like making the Western Hockey League mm -hmm. it's 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 one thing to make the Western Hockey League it is another thing to make the NHL it is such a steep pyramid mm -hmm. And there's probably maybe one guy on average on each Western Hockey League team that's got an NHL future. Um, is it even that high? One guy, well, because it's covering that's four years. There's, yeah, that's that's probably maybe one or two guys be on that, you know, there's mm -hmm. 16 to 20 year olds on a WHL team. Right. So it's, it is a small number of players on those WHL teams and even players who on those teams who get drafted, it's still a small number. It's just two guys out of 30, you know, three guys out of 30 drafted in the fourth round um, who are going to make it. And that's not, it's not easy. So chase on, you know, it, the arrows aren't up right now um, on him because he didn't progress as a scorer like you'd hope to see in major right. junior hockey. But he, if he's going to make the mm -hmm. NHL, mm -hmm. he's going to have to make it probably in a mm -hmm. different way. He's going to have to figure out how to be a super solid defensive hockey mm -hmm. player with a big with a physical element to his game who can chip in the odd goal. And he's really got to define himself around those terms if he's going to make it. And um, that's hard for players who have been, you know, high talent scoring players uh, throughout their entire hockey careers to do to to become that kind of smart defensive hockey player um is not easy obviously or, or they'd all be doing it and um so that's but i do think that's his path to the nhl is if, if he sees himself as a i could maybe make it as a third line checker and i'm going to be mm -hmm. doing i'm going to be doing everything i can to become a solid defensive player at this point it's my whole focus um mm -hmm. Everything else, I'm going to work on it, but my focus is defensive hockey. Mm -hmm. Yep, you know, I mean, to me right now, this guy is um, 
Tyler Pitlick in 2012. You know, I mean, he's Pitlick a little was lower draft pedigree, obviously, yeah. but not that much lower in, in that, yeah. you know, day two draft pick. And it's all against the current for all those guys. And uh, but the same sort of general skill skill set, you know, big strap and right shot uh, forward who uh, uh, who can hit a little bit and uh, uh, hustles. And, and uh, I mean, Pitlick never made the NHL as a great seer of the game, you know, uh, 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 offense. He had good offensive numbers in junior, but he was not that creative of a player. But he was a good enough, hard-working, two-way, uh, physical-type guy that he could find his spot somewhere in the, you know, in the depths of the roster, whatever team he was on. And you know, that's that's upper um, upper limits for many of these guys. Is you know if they make the NHL at all, you know it's a huge success, even if you know they're third or fourth liner in the end. Yeah. And and Tyler Pitlick uh, yeah. essentially played four years in the minors, mm-hmm. and um, but he did he has carved out an NHL career. He's been mm-hmm. going, he's traveled all over from Edmonton <laughs> to Dallas to Philadelphia to Arizona to Calgary to Montreal to St. Louis. He was in, but he was in St. Louis last year. He played sixty-one mm-hmm. games. Mm-hmm. 16 points. So he's a fourth liner in, in energy player in with the St. Louis Blues. I mean, he's he is having an NHL career. And um oh, sure. I'll and uh, you know, he'll keep playing it. I don't know where he's gonna be this year, but if you know, he can keep playing in Europe. So he's that that actually was a pick that you could say worked out for the, you know, in terms he of He was an uh, NHL player, yeah. They they uh, they got really unlucky with Tyler in the sense that uh, he kept getting hurt and then uh, the year he finally made it, and he scored like eight goals in 31 games, as I recall, in 16-17, uh, in the year the team broke out, and he was breaking out. And then he got hurt, and he missed the whole rest of the season. And because he got hurt and missed the whole rest of the season, he didn't make the threshold for games played, and it made him a group six free agent. Otherwise, if he just played out the season, the Oilers would have had his rights for two more years. Instead, they lost him as a free agent. And, you know, that was just... Just... Uh, he needed a change of scenery anyway, just for his luck to change. He had such tough breaks with uh, with the injuries, but uh, he was a good kid. I got to know him when he was with Medicine Hat a little bit. Interviewed him a couple times, and always still root for him. Uh, Bruce, the next player we're going to talk about is, is someone I just wrote about, and um, he has had a pretty interesting career so far in terms of development. His name is. Uh, Noel Hoffenmeyer, mm-hmm. and he's uh, like 6'1", 190 pounds, and uh, he was a fourth pick, fourth round pick, 108th overall in the 2017 draft out of the um, Ottawa 67s. He had 40 points in 62 games um, as a defenseman, and he took a step back the next year in his offensive game in Ottawa. He had fewer points in his next year, and it turned out that the Arizona Coyotes didn't want to sign him. They um, had two years to sign him. And uh, in, in his in his uh, night when he was a 19 or 20 year old in Major Junior, he had um, 62 points in 68 games. But that wasn't enough for Arizona to think they're going to sign him. And they and no other team drafted him. He went back in the draft. No other team drafted him. And um, he went back to he did go back for that extra year of junior when he was 20 21 years old and he had 82 points in 58 games um 
the Toronto Maple Leafs then signed plus him. Plus 52. Yeah, plus 52. <laughs> so that's what happens if you go back that final year. You just have quite an advantage <clears throat> that extra year. So he, he was signed by the Toronto Maple Leafs, and he ended up the next two years mainly playing in the ECHL. Uh, he played some games. He was able to make the Mar- Toronto Marbles for a couple games, their AHL team, but he was mainly with the Wichita Thunder and the Newfoundland Growlers of the ECHL for the next two years. At, at the at the end of his second pro year, he gets called up to the to the Toronto Marlboros again. So he's 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 two years into his AHL or his minor pro experience. He's mainly been in the AHL. He he gets called up to the Toronto Marlies. And something interesting happens, Bruce, and we remarked on this before, and I dug a little deeper into it. For the first time, you go. he starts to get in fights. And he got in two fights at the end in eight games at the end of that season with the Marlboros. And then he got in six fights oh, wow. last year, which, which is a lot of fights uh, for a player in this day and age in hockey. So especially someone... You look at, so I went to hockeyfights.com. He had been in one fight before then, it looked like. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they found all his fights, but he had been, it looked like he'd been in one fight before then. And all the time he has, he'd been in hockey. Has two odd numbers in his junior career. So I default to that likely being a fight, although it could be another kind of major, of course. But Yeah, five-minute anyway. major. So he he might have had one or two fights in, in major junior. But according to hockey, they, the hockey fights, I think, dot com had uh, the mm-hmm. the record anyway he starts to get in fights and the interesting thing was they have links on that site to all the fights he got in right and um so i was really interesting about this a player who hadn't fought and suddenly he's getting in a lot of fights and he got 114 penalty minutes which is one of the yeah. second highest second on his in team. the league that's in what the got league. our attention because right because he also got in so he he stuck with the marlboros this year this past year and he got 38 points in 65 games he was clearly their power play quarterback on that team, and he was uh, getting in all these fights. Mm. So I, I looked at the fights, and they were, it was really interesting. Um, I think there was video for five of the six that I could get. And in three of those fights, he came to the aid of a teammate. One of his teammates got clobbered, mm-hmm. and he jumped right in immediately and picked a fight and actually generally beat up the guy a oh, little yeah. bit, puffed him up pretty good at least, the guy who had picked on his teammate. Made him pay the price, did he? Made him pay the price, as they say. And what struck me is you and I have been watching, and I've watched, we've been watching AHL hockey on the internet off and on for more than a decade now. And um, there's so many players who have come and gone from the owners organization, Curtis Hamilton being a prime example, Martin Marinson, you name, that's another good name. Where I watch them and I think, if you added an element of aggression and abrasion to your game, you would be so much more valuable to an NHL team. Um, if you became, for instance, the kind of player who came to the aid of a teammate after you got clobbered in a fight and you picked a fight and you just stood up for him, that would put a glow around you, which is currently lacking. And if you threw more hits, if you threw instead of zero hits or a, one hit every three games, if you threw one hit every game, one you you know one solid hit every game, and four or five times a year you stood up for a teammate in a fight, that could mean the difference for you of making five hundred thousand dollars in your hockey career or ten million dollars in your hockey career. If you can, you could get you know 
a few NHL contracts. And we see examples of this. The one I used in my story was Antoine Roussel, who we watched way back when in the AHL. And was he was always not, like that. He was, yeah, he was always, you're right. He was always, it's not something he added to his game. But, and maybe Vinny DeHarnay is the same thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe he was always really abrasive. But it's it's this kind of player. I've seen uh, players learn learn it, though, that they had, to, they actually had a ton. Tyler Benson, not that it necessarily worked for him, but there's uh-huh. an example of a guy who, literally changed his style to try and provide something they thought the team needed that he could do. And it wasn't like it came that naturally to him. I don't think, like, I think the attitude, yeah, but I think some of the phys- physical stuff maybe. Anyway, I thought he came on that kind of late in the day. So it's possible for a player to say, I got to do something to get noticed. I know I'm going to beat up that guy in training camp. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, We've we've read stories like it was more commonly in the past where players like uh, Dave Schultz, who said he wasn't a rough, tough guy early on in his career, decided <laughs> consciously decided yeah. he was going to become the roughest, most violent player in hockey, and he was going to earn his keep in the NHL. Dave the Hammer Schultz, and he became the most um, well, the most aggressive fighter of the um, four hundred seventy-two pims one year. Yeah. So um, anyway, we'll see what happens. This guy, the interesting thing, interesting thing to me is Bruce. This guy clearly has some skill. Yeah. He doesn't. He doesn't have elite NHL skill, but he probably has enough skill. I'm guessing to play in the NHL in a bottom pairing role. Like if he keeps developing, I mean, he's put up points. He's played the power play in major junior. He's been a major power play guy. They and he was on. He put up points in the AHL last year. From the sounds of it, he's got a good shot. He's an okay skater. He can rush. The, he's good with the puck. Um, and he's a sound defensive hockey player. Now he's added this other element to his game. So, um, you know, he's there's lots of defensemen on the owner's defense, uh, the depth chart that are um, ahead of him, including a couple other really good puck moving players, Cam Deneen and uh, Ben Gleason. There's also Marcus Niemelainen, who's just a physical player. Um, a, a huge figure, physical player. So there's lots of competition for him in the AHL, even for playing time. But it wouldn't surprise me um, if he keeps doing what he's doing and stepping up and complaining. That you know, if he, what wouldn't surprise me if he did get a call up, that he he might just look okay. He might hold his own in the AHL because. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me that he got a call up based on um, the way he's he played last year in the AHL. It earned him an entry level contract at yeah. age 23, which is unusual. You know, that's yeah, yeah 24. You know, usually you, they reserve those kind of contracts for players um, who are better prospects. But the Oilers have been giving out a few in recent years. They gave it to him, and they've given it to DeHarnay, and they gave one to Hamblin, guys who have been minor in the AHL level, mm-hmm. and. Um, We've seen both Hamlin and DeHarnay in the NHL now. We have. And um, would, so in terms of a, where he's headed, this guy, Hoff, Hoffenmeyer, I called him Hoff, uh, where the Hoff is headed is, wouldn't be surprised to see him get a couple NHL games this year uh, or next year if he stays in the organization. And then we'll get a good look at him ourselves. Yeah, well, he's already 24 because he played junior right through age 21 uh, in the OHL. And uh, uh, he left at just the right time because the next season the OHL didn't even play. 
but he played uh, 298 games over five years. And then he's played in the ECHL, time in the AHL, full season in the AHL. And even though he's 24 and you think, oh, you don't want to waive that guy, they actually don't have to waive that guy because he's on the LC. Because Toronto, for all the time they had him, they never actually signed him to an NHL-class contract. So it's not like they got him. Usually you get a guy that age, he's, he's coming off another NHL contract somewhere else. And uh, this guy isn't. So they can move him around at will. And uh, uh, I like this signing. I, you know, I think this, this, this player's track by record is good. I mean, anybody who played for the Newfoundland Grizzlies, man, I mean, you know, Growlers, pardon me, Newfoundland Growlers, the ECHL team, that uh, that won. See, uh, was it Turner Cup uh, a couple of years ago not when this, they were an expansion they? team? Yeah, yeah, couple, yeah when, the, when they were first year, they were... Uh, they were around anyway. Yeah, uh, they uh, yeah Zach O'Brien that team. Anyway, they uh, uh, that aside, I mean his he's one of these slow steady guys, and his his uh, record in Ottawa 67s, you know two straight years almost a plus a hundred for the two years with uh, you know scoring point a game uh, caliber uh, scoring. This is a guy that's. Uh, you got to think he's comfortable with the puck on his stick. Yeah. And yeah. you want to think a defenseman like that who can make a pass out of his own end, and he's probably still going to be able to make one whatever league he's going to. So, uh, anyway, he's uh, – uh, I thought that was a good bet. And it's just a one-year ELC because he's 24. That's all you're allowed to sign him to. The ELCs get shorter as the signing age gets uh, I see. later. 22 and 23, they get a two-year deal. Anything 22 and under, they all get a three-year deal. So most of the ELCs are three years. Yeah, well, and it's, a, you know, we'd only see him in Edmonton, for instance, if the Oilers get hit with a lot of injuries on a, on the right. blue line, but has this, that ever happened? Yeah, that yes. this year and that that didn't happen last year, but that mm-hmm. happens all the time mm-hmm. to teams. And this was, I just think this was an excellent signing by the Oilers. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I think they they have you know, right they've got a player. Yeah, they've got a player here who um, has been developed by another organization, has shown a lot of promise promise in a number of different areas of the game. And I like this signing quite a bit. I think um, kudos to the pro scouts who recommended this signing because um, um, I think if we do see him, that he'll be okay. So I remember when Toronto developed Craig Muni for us. Yeah. And they kind of gave him away when he was 23, was or 24? And he just came here and immediately started winning Stanley Cups, something he never seemed to have done in Toronto. Just saying. Did they, did they develop Jason Smith too? Or did they, <laughs> they did. He was well, New Jersey, Toronto, and Toronto. Yeah, yeah. but uh, so that's uh, yeah. Anyway, be nice. be nice to you know we're picking off all these uh, players from the Leafs organization. It's spooky. It's not. It's like I remember when Dallas Aikens got came here and he picked brought in Ryan Hamilton and uh, Will uh, Acton. Yeah. Uh, Will Acton, the smell that wouldn't leave the room. Dallas Aikens said approvingly. <laughs> <laughs> that was the part I couldn't get over. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, wrong that, coach at the wrong time for the Edmonton Oilers. But like what's the connection game. between the Oilers and Toronto? And they, they got a zillion guys. Like I saw a picture CC? from the golf tournament. There were six guys, and they were all from six different major towns in the Golden Horseshoe. Like Nurse was from Hamilton, and and you know, and, and they had uh, McDavid and Hyman and. Uh, 
Connor Brown was he there? Connor or? Brown was he in the picture? I think. And, uh, um, Warren Fogle was in Fogel, there. Ryan yeah. McLeod was in there. Evan Bouchard <laughs> was in there. Like they're all from that area, and they, the Oilers just seem to hit that market every summer when it comes to free agents too, for whatever reason. To give the Ontario credit, Bruce, the goal, there is no richer hockey oh. development area on earth than the Golden Horseshoe. I mean, the number of players, the great competition players, is so good, eh? Who have come and the and the coaching and the training, right? Yeah. Like they yeah. they're doing a lot right uh, in in Southern Ontario in that Golden Horseshoe area. Man, they just it's just it's just superstar after superstar. If you had a Team Canada, I bet you at least. I'm going to say a third of the players are developed there. Maybe more than that come from the uh, from that area on a, almost every uh, team Canada. So I give thanks to yeah. uh, to uh, that area of the world for mm-hmm. what the yeah. bounty of hockey players they provided to the Edmonton Oilers. And- to the Oilers, yeah, that the Oilers have extracted from there whatever it is from you know the natural resources of Canada coming coming west. We can at least say we got some uh, of Ontario's. <laughs> resources playing for the Oilers now and in the system pipeline too so <laughs> well Bruce I gotta run now unfortunately yeah. so um we'll we'll have to leave it there um thank you for talking today all right thanks for listening everyone and in the meantime and in between times this has been another edition of the cult of hockey podcast